Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. Uh, we're going to be hearing from God's Word now. So if you have uh, one of the church Bibles, uh, you can turn to page 1068. Page 1068. We're going to be reading from John chapter 5, verses 19 to 47. That's on page 1068. Jesus said to them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can, only, he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about, about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I accept it that you may be saved." John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that my Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have heard his voice, not, nor, you have never heard his voice nor seen his for form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another? but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hope, hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to St. Stephen's. My name's Prash. I'm the Senior Minister. A very warm welcome if you're new or visiting. Um, we just had a little burst of rain there, so 
we're going ahead with the picnic still. I love it. I said, I said, I said to Pippi, ah, let's just do it. Come on. Um, we'll see what happens at the end of the service. Let me pray for us. We're in a series on uh, the book of John's, uh, of John, uh, John's reflections on the life of Jesus, the person he lived with and encountered. Uh, so let me pray that God might help us to understand his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to our hearts and minds and show us the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. I wonder if someone has ever surprised you. Ever surprised you. I remember being a youth group leader and leading this young guy. He uh, was from Africa originally. Uh, he was just a wonderful kid. Always listened to what I had to say. <laughs> that, that was unusual in itself. Um, but now he was just a, he was a respectful guy. He was always welcoming. Uh, he brought his friends. He was very diligent and earnest. Uh, and so in some ways, it's completely unremarkable. At the end, when he left and he moved on, I remember someone telling me, did you know that guy was a prince in Ghana? Surprising. Ever met someone who surprises you? Something about them uh, is revealed to you later which genuinely surprises you? I think the Bible surprises us when it describes God. And Jesus is actually describing God to, to the surrounding crowd, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, to his own disciples in this moment. And as we go through John's Gospel, what in this, in this account of Jesus' life, probably more so than any other of the other, th- other three Gospels, God is revealing his nature, and in a very surprising way. A very, very surprising way. Jesus, in this little, this little moment, reveals two things that are very surprising about God. First of all, he, he says that he is God. He is God. He is equal to God. Uh, and so he kind of... Uh, he, sorry, I haven't put this on. There we go. There we go. In the first three or four verses, it really comes out. He says to them, the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. To those who are hearing, the Father kind of correlates with God, but he is identifying as the Son. And he says, so the Father has showed him, Jesus, all that he does. In other words, there's nothing which God does which Jesus is unaware of. In other words, Jesus knows everything that God knows. He's seen everything that God has seen. He says, I am equal with the Father. He then goes on in verse 21 just as the father raises the dead and gives them life. Now, in the Old Testament, and especially for the Jewish leaders who are listening to what um, is being said, their history, God has always been the bearer of life. The one who has life in him is God. And Jesus says, the father gives life. They would affirm that, they'd understand that. But then he goes on and says, the son gives life to whom he is pleased. Jesus is saying, I am equal to God. I am equal to God, and I have life in myself. I give life to whom I please. Then in verse 22, he goes on and he says, The Father judges no one. Now, that the Father, God, judgment, that is part and parcel of being God. Jesus says here extraordinarily, but the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that is to him. Jesus is saying the most extraordinary thing to the crowd. He is saying, 
I am God. I'm equal to God. And he kind of sums it up in verse 23 with these words. All may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. In other words, all should treat me, Jesus, just as they treat God. Jesus is saying, God is me. I'm God here. This is an extraordinary statement. Extraordinary statement, especially given what the Jewish people know. But he goes on to, he goes on to say something even, even more extraordinary, actually, because at, in verse 23, he also says this, whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. He's saying, I'm equal to God, yet God the Father is different to me, God the Son. One is the sender, one is the sent. One is the Father, that's a distinction he keeps maintaining, as opposed to one who is the Son. Jesus is saying that he is equal to God, and yet there is a distinction. There is a Father and there is a Son within the Godhead. God is to be conceived of as Father and of as Son, and yet they're different. There is not a Father who becomes the Son, because there is a Father who sends the Son. This is, this is so extraordinary. Jesus is equal to God the Father, yet distinct from the Father. That's, that's the surprising thing that Jesus has come to say. This is extraordinary because Jesus, up until this point in John's Gospel, has essentially been a prophet, a teacher. But he's raising the bar. The context of this little, uh, this little speech that Jesus gives is also important. We didn't read it for the sake of time. But what happens is Jesus comes to a pool, a prominent pool in, in Jerusalem, where often people who are paralysed would sit, and he comes across a paralysed man. They all sat there because they believed if they jumped in the pool at the right time when the water was bubbling and stirring, they would be healed. This man had sat there for decades, but never been able to get into the pool. He was always the last one in, and so he believed that's why he was never healed. Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? He says, I do, but I can't get in the pool. So Jesus says, just take up your mat and walk. And the man does it. It's one of those extraordinary miracles. There's, there's about six or seven of them that John recounts throughout his, his story of Jesus' life. This is one of them. But what actually stirs the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time is not even the miracle, but when he does it, because he's just done this miracle on the Sabbath. A moment when they're not actually meant to, Jews were not meant to do any kind of work. So what stirs them most is not even the miracle, but that Jesus has told him to pick up his mat on the Sabbath, to do some work, so to speak. And in response to that, Jesus says, but my father is always at work and so am I. And John says in that moment, Jesus is doing this. He's equating himself to God. See, Jesus is destroying the kind of pretensions and the preconceived notions of who God is for the Jewish people at this moment. The Jews had grown up with an understanding that God was, there was only one God. But Jesus is now saying, no, but I am God. And there is this, this other person. In fact, later on in John's Gospel, he'll talk about the Holy Spirit. And he'll speak of the Spirit as having the same authority as God the Father and God the Son, sent with the same power. And so by the end of Jesus' teaching and life on earth, the church has come to understand God as Trinity, this, this 
complex thing which Pippi tried to open the box on, so to speak, in Spotlight. This idea that there is one God. Jesus always affirms that. He'll say, he will affirm those words from Deuteronomy where uh, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Jesus says, says that in Mark 4, I think it is. He'll affirm that God is one, and yet at the same time, he'll affirm that there is a Father, that there is a Son, He is the Son, and that there is a Spirit, and each of them are God. And yet they're not the same, they're distinct, they're playing different parts, different roles, they're different persons. One God, three persons, all of the same essence, but three persons, distinct from each other. Jesus, in this moment, is saying something very extraordinary about who God is. And this is why the Jewish leaders want to kill him. He's saying, God is not like the God you thought. You didn't have the whole picture. He's dismantling, in a sense, monotheism, the monotheism of Judaism. But he's also doing something else, because by claiming that he is equal to God, he's also claiming, he's dismantling the pluralism that, that our culture is so embedded with. He's, he's saying it's not a case that Islam and Judaism are basically the same thing. They're all talking about the same God. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say that. Oh, look, I don't know why we can't all get along. Well, I mean, I don't know why we can't all get along. But have you ever heard some, someone say, because we're all basically talking to the same God? Well, that's not true if you believe what Jesus is saying. If you believe the Bible, the Christian God is not the same God as the God of Judaism. The Christian God is not the same God of Islam. Just because we use the word God to describe them. The Christian God is Trinitarian. Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is, this is so profoundly important. This is so profoundly important. This is not something that you can access using your mind. The Trinity is not a product of philosophy. I mean, it's not in the Bible, but the, the, the concept that the Trinity is kind of capturing, that word is capturing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is not something a person can come up with. It is something that arises as Jesus progressively reveals to us who God is. But it's not a case that Jesus has just come and said it, and therefore we should accept it. In fact, he says, if I was the only one to testify to this reality of who he is and who God is then we shouldn't believe him. He says, actually, there's many, there's many witnesses to The Father testifies to it. You can't hear him. But he says, there are two things that do testify which you can hear. He says, the Scriptures and his own life. The Old Testament and the life of Jesus testify to this surprising truth that Jesus is equal to God and yet distinct from the Father. First of all, the Old Testament has all these little threads that run through it. So here's a couple of examples. Genesis 1, uh, this well-known verse, God says, let us make mankind in our image. Now, you can't read Genesis 1 and say, oh, therefore God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you do get the sense that there's a community, it, that God is not simply, I am going to make, it is we. There's a hint of something there. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's this character called the angel of the Lord, but he's not really like all the other angels. He's distinct from God, and yet, at times, he is treated as God. He's given the authority of God. 
And if we don't listen to him, we're told, the Old, Old, Old Testament says to the Hebrews, if you don't listen to him, he will judge you. He will execute the, jo- the, the role, the power, the authority that God has. And so the angel of the Lord even says to us, there's something more going on with who God is. Uh, in, in Psalm 110, which Peter interestingly quotes in his sermon in Pentecost, soon after uh, Jesus ascends to heaven, we, we, we have the psalmist saying, my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Peter says, that can't be Peter. It can't be an earthly king, because kings are not described as my Lord in, in uh, David's language in the Psalms. So who is this other Lord? There's all these little hints here in Psalm 51. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. There's reference to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, there's all these little threads. Now, any one of them doesn't tell us the full picture of who God is. But when Jesus arrives and what he tells us about who God is, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it starts to make sense of all these little echoes that you find in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I haven't come out of the blue and told you something which is beyond beyond the testimony of Scripture. No, the hints have already been there in the Old Testament, actually. The hints have been there that God is who I'm revealing to be. What's more, Jesus says, it's not just the Old Testament, it's even his own life that testifies to it. He says, the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, in other words, his life and his miracles testify that the Father has sent me, testify that I am equal to the Father, that I have the same authority as the Father, that I am God. I mean, the great example, I mean, there's just an example before this, which is Jesus healing a man and asking to walk. But if you cast your mind forward to John 11, which we'll come to over the Easter weekend, Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave. He's been dead for a few days. He calls him out of the grave. Jesus is doing the very thing which we've always said, oh, that was God's thing to do, to have life in himself. There he is. He stands at the tomb. He calls Lazarus out. He's executing the authority and power of God. The authority and power of God. And so Jesus is actually saying there is enough evidence to accept what I'm saying to you about who God is and who I am. There is enough evidence to accept It's not a case that I'm just asking you to take my word for it, he says. Look at the scriptures. Look at the way that I've been living. Look at the miracles that I've been undertaking. Well, the question, though, is why does Jesus tell us this? Is he just saying, oh, look, I'm I'm just going to let you in on a secret. It's going to blow your mind. Well, he might be doing that. He might just just have a sense that he wants us to, to know something about God that we could not have known before. That is absolutely true. You can't know this, as I said, through your own philosophy. This is a gift of God's revelation. But I think it's more than that. I think Jesus is revealing this about himself and about who God is as Trinity for one very particular reason. He wants us to listen to what he has to say. He's saying, I am worth listening to. I'm worth listening to. And, you know, in Jesus' language, listening or hearing him is not just hearing the words, processing them, or even intellectually agreeing with them. It is to have your life changed and transformed by them. There's this interesting little paragraph in what Jesus says. He's talking about judgment, 
and how he has the authority to exercise judgment. He says, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, that is Jesus' voice, and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. It's a really interesting verse. I think at first when you hear it, you think, is he actually saying in the final judgment, those people who've done good things will rise you know, to heaven, so to speak, and those who've done bad things will go to hell? That seems to, that seems to contradict, though, everything that Jesus has been saying up to this point. He has said the only way you stand confident before God on the last day is by believing in him. That was the point we, we saw last week in John 4. We'll see it again in John 6 next week when Jesus will say, what is, what is God's will? What is the food? What does it look like to trust him? To believe in Jesus. To do God's work is to believe in Jesus. So he can't be saying, oh, you're saved by the, by the works you do. I think what he's rather saying is that on that last day, the question that will be asked of each of us is did we really hear Jesus as God? Did our lives actually reflect the, the thing that we claim is true? Did we live as if what Jesus had to say for us is what God had to say for us? Did we treat Jesus as God with equal authority to the Father? Jesus is saying hearing changes the way we live. So he's saying... On that last day, the key question will be, have you heard Jesus in a way that reflects his authority? Have you heard Jesus in a way that reflects his authority? Well, I think, I don't know if you've heard that story of the Japanese soldiers who found themselves on little archipelagos and islands in the, in the end of the war. And when Japan eventually surrendered to the Allies, they kept fighting because they didn't know that the war was over. The message hadn't got through. Eventually, they had to send Japanese generals to these little camps, convince them that, no, Japan had really surrendered to the Allies. See, there's hearing, and then there's hearing. There's hearing where you don't believe it, you've heard the words, and there's hearing that reorients your life. There's hearing that just transforms your priorities. It transforms your worldview. Have you heard Jesus and his claim that he is God? Have you really heard that? Has that really transformed your life? I think the reality is for most of us, it's probably not true. Jesus says, you know, in Matthew 10, 37, it says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, that's a, that's a pretty extraordinary thing to say. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's extraordinary to say, not just because in our culture, family is like this idol, but because God says in the Ten Commandments, honour your mother and father. <laughs> Jesus is saying, you're meant to honour me more than you honour your mother and father. Now, that would be outrageous if he wasn't God. But Jesus says, anyone who loves their mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. But Jesus is claiming to be God. That's the only reason he can say that kind of thing. I think the problem for most of us, though, is that Jesus' identity is often veiled. Jesus' identity as God is often veiled. And, you know, 
you have someone like Pippi up here and they're drawing a diagram and, uh, and they're, they're quoting um, a kind of understanding of God from the 39 articles and you think, oh, I can see why people find it hard to believe in the Trinity. Like, rationally, this is a hard thing to get your head around. But what's really interesting, actually, about what Jesus says is, he says, the reason people, he's talking to the Pharisees, right, who don't believe what he's saying, the reason people don't believe it is not because of an intellectual failure. See, unbelief is not a product of an, of an intellectual barrier. He says something else. This is what he says in John 5, 42. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. He says, the reason you can't believe that he is God because you don't have the love of God in your hearts. In other words, you love something else. I've come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. His point is, and it has been proven to be true, people have come, they've claimed the authority of God, and people have willingly accepted them. They've done crazy things for people like that. There were numerous people who came to be Messiah soon after Jesus uh, ascended in the history of, of the Jewish nation alone. And many people laid down their lives for these people. But they didn't for Jesus. Why is that? How can you believe? Since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Jesus is saying, we're captured with the wrong glory. We love the wrong thing. Accepting that he's God is not, is not dependent primarily on an intellectual capability to get your head around the Trinity. But do you love God? Or do you love something else more? I, you know, it's, I have this classic problem when I go to restaurants. They serve the bread rolls. I eat the bread rolls. And then I eat the bread roll of the person next to me. My dear wife, Emily, she often gives up her bread roll. It's because she's, she's an she's a experienced connoisseur of food. She knows you don't eat the bread roll and then give up on the main. It's like going to a Chinese banquet and tucking into the prawn crackers so you've got no room left for the Peking duck. But you know, a lot of us live like that with God. We're dining out on something else, on the glory that comes from one another rather than the glory that comes from God. We're so, we're so caught up in loving something else we cannot love God. There is no space left in our heart to love him. I'd much rather love my comfortable home. I'd much rather that comfortable home than the glory of God. I mean, just a lot of people, just that is their mindset. I'd much rather a successful profession than encountering the glory of God. I'd much rather the affirmation of a partner than the glory of God. I'd much rather be seen as a tolerant person than the glory of God. That's why, that's why for most people, you can't believe that Jesus is fully God, that he shares the full authority of God. See, unbelief is rarely intellectual. Let me just say that again. You might have your intellectual arguments, but behind that, that's just a cover for whatever that thing is that you don't want to let go of in your life. 
Because you actually love that more than you love God, is what Jesus is saying. It's true for the Pharisees. They had the evidence there. It was there. They just couldn't believe Jesus because they had to let go of the love of men. What is it for you? What is it for you? Well, you know what? I think there's something even more surprising in this passage and, and in this what Jesus is revealing to us than just Jesus is God. There's something more surprising. Jesus is God. He's saying, this man is extraordinary. He's divine. He's in our presence. That, that is extraordinary. I think there's something even more extraordinary than that. And it's Jesus. That the Son of God is Jesus the Nazarene. Not just that Jesus is God, but in a sense, God is Jesus. When you look at Jesus the Nazarene in his poverty, in his humility, you are seeing God in truth. See what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. In other words, everything that Jesus is doing is a reflection of God himself, of who God is. It is not that God the Father sits up there enthroned, unaware of sacrifice and servanthood, and Jesus comes and enacts that for a certain period of time. No, when we see Jesus living his life, we are seeing God in action. We are seeing the servant nature of God himself. That is who the Father is. That is who God is in and of himself. That is so profound. So when Jesus sits with tax collectors and sinners, that is God's desire, to sit with tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, that is God's desire, to meet a woman from an outcast tribe. When Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he's not just putting it on. That's not just him as a human doing what humans need to do. That is God, because what he can only do what he sees his father doing. What he's doing, he has seen his father do. This is the nature of God in action. And so when he dies on the cross, this is not the son taking the father's anger, soaking it up. It is God suffering for his people. See, it is God suffering for his people. Doesn't, isn't that the more surprising thing, actually? Isn't that the more surprising thing about God? Not that he has the capacity to come and be a human for a while. But in this life, he is at his core as the triune God, a God of servanthood, a God of sacrifice, a God of mercy, a God of grace. And if that's true, that is the hope for a people who are often tied up with, caught up in the glory of something else. God's heart is to welcome you back. See that? See, if God was just 
just like power and authority, then those of us who chase the wrong glory are doomed. But because God we see is the God who washes feet, who sits with the outcast, who seeks the sinner, who dies on the cross for the unrighteous, we can have hope of approaching that God. Jesus is telling this extraordinary thing. We're, we're gazing into the most holy of holies. And in the midst of that holiness is our hope. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that who we meet here in the Lord Jesus is you, your, your character. We see your mercy in your Son, Lord Jesus. And of course, our minds are not big enough to comprehend you. We thank you for the little glimpses of who you are that you've granted us. Would that transform us? And we would be, we'd be people who, when we hear you, change our lives in accord. We pray this in Jesus' name.